and welcome to episode 7 of Stories of Strangeness. We are your hosts, Zoe, that's me, and Mike. Hello. And today is a Mike episode. It is. So what are you going to tell us about, Mike? I'm going to tell us about Skinwalker Ranch as much as I possibly can in a short episode. This is not a topic that lends itself to short-form podcasting, (laughs) unfortunately. Indeed. So before we get down to the Skinwalker Ranch matter, there is something that we do have to say, and that is, are you all tucked in, Sam? Are you ready to go to sleep? Okay, so night-night and sweet dreams. Night-night. I hope this doesn't give you nightmares. No. Uh, So that was for our friend Sam, who likes to listen to this podcast as she goes to sleep. I'd also like to give a little quick shout out. We do seem to be getting listeners from all over the place now because I check analytics through our host, through Spotify, through all sorts of different channels that I can. We have at least one listener in Colombia. We have listeners in Australia, which we think we might know who that is, but hello. Yeah. Hi. Um, (laughs) But we have listeners in the Faroe Islands. And I mentioned on social media a while back that I'd kind of seen that and looked into some of the interesting things about Kelpies legends on the Faroe Islands. But I just wanted to say hello to the people in Torshavn and Hoyavik in the Faroe Islands. So hello if you're listening. We love that you're listening. Yeah, we really love that we've got people like all over the planet listening at all different times. I find it Incredibly strange, but also quite special. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let's answer the obvious question. What is a skinwalker? According to the law of the Southwestern tribes, a skinwalker is a witch that can alter their shape at will and take on the form and characteristics of animals. Think werewolf, only the human part is in control at all times, and that human part is pure evil possessing far greater ferocity and bloodlust than any of the forms it assumes. Skinwalkers are always seen as purely evil with malicious intent and can cause any number of maladies, murders and mayhem. They are selfish evil people who study black magic and may even be involved in grave robbing and necrophilia. They have to kill a relative or sibling in order to become a skinwalker and gain its fearsome power. The Navajo, Hopi, Utes and other tribes of the area all have similar stories about the Skinwalker, with common elements being that it is a malevolent, shape-shifting witch who can assume the form of a wolf, coyote, bear, bird or other animal at will. Often the witches are depicted as wearing the hide of the animal they wish to become, inheriting the creature's strength, speed, cunning and other attributes. Witches were also generally blamed for unexpected illnesses or deaths within the tribe or their livestock, resulting from their curses. And even sudden reversals of fortune, even from bad to good, could seem like something a witch may have influenced away from the natural balance and order of things. Navajo law even states that witches have forfeited their status as a human being and can therefore be killed on sight without recourse. In 1848, the Navajo Nation purged itself of more than 40 witches as a reaction to a horrific forced march they had to go on led by the US Army. During the march, hundreds of Navajo people were murdered, left to die or starved. The tribe was then put into a bleak reservation which left them starving and destitute. 
The scale of the injustice against them was so great, they assumed that witches were to blame and murdered them in droves in an attempt to redress the disharmony after finding a collection of witches' artefacts which were wrapped in a copy of the Treaty of 1868 and buried in the belly of a dead person. Navajo legends tell of skinwalkers using mind control to make victims hurt themselves or even end their own lives. Skinwalkers can run faster than a car and can jump great distances, seemingly effortlessly, as well as being able to travel in other supernatural ways. If you see a skinwalker's face, they have to kill you to prevent you from discovering who they are. But if you already know who it is, they will die. The Navajo culture regards witches and witchcraft as an important part of life, very real and not something to be taken lightly. Daily behaviours may be used to avoid, prevent or cure the effects of witchcraft and the Navajo language incorporates many words for the various forms witchcraft takes. Navajo do not generally talk about skinwalkers even among their own, as naming it gains the attention of any in the area and marks you as a target for their misdeeds. The Utes feel similarly, with stories about the land the ranch is on having had unexplained phenomena happen on it which stretch back over 15 generations. A local amateur UFO historian, Junior Hicks, who used to work as a science teacher before retiring, says that the Utes told him that the skinwalker lives in a place called Dark Canyon, which is not far from the Gorman Ranch. In the 1980s, Hicks sought to gain permission from the tribal council to explore the canyon, as he'd been told that the canyon contained centuries-old petroglyphs, some which depicted skinwalkers. The council denied his request, and one of the members confided in Hicks that it was because they did not want to risk disturbing the skinwalker, and in doing so, attract its ire. Their final advice to Hicks on the matter was to leave it alone. The Ranch Nestled into the Uinta Basin in the badlands of northeast Utah, somewhere between the towns of Vernal and Roosevelt, sits a lonely 480-acre ranch. Previously owned by a prosperous family who moved to Salt Lake City, the ranch was bought in the autumn of 1994 by a rancher and his family who wanted to move somewhere to raise cattle and have some privacy, which had been in short supply at their previous home in a small town in New Mexico. It seemed perfect. It was out of the way, about a half mile from the nearest road, down a dirt track that was almost concealed from view. The previous owners were elderly, and having moved away, they only came back occasionally to check the fence lines were still intact. The ranch and the buildings themselves had been virtually abandoned for the last seven years, and as such, needed about a year's worth of work to fix it up. Due to this fact, the ranch had been bought for a very reasonable price. The contract of sale included some unusual elements. One stipulation was that the Gormans were not allowed to dig on the land without prior warning to the previous owners. The Gormans shrugged that off as a meaningless clause by elderly eccentrics and signed the paperwork. The 480 acres includes some beautiful scenery as well as cottonwood trees, Russian olives, lush pasture with a creek running through it and an irrigation canal to the north where the property is bordered by a 200 foot red rock ridge. Around this area gets very muddy at the slightest rain and the family learned quickly not to drive along the track that ran east to west across the property near to the canal, after having to pull their vehicles out of the canal on several occasions. One unusual feature that the Gormans noticed when they first visited the ranch house 
was that every door had multiple heavy-duty deadbolts, both on the inside and outside of the doors. The windows were all bolted too, and at each end of the farmhouse, large metal chains were embedded into the wall ending in metal rings, suggesting that the previous owners had kept large dogs. Dogs on a ranch were commonplace enough, but bolts on both sides of the doors? The Gormans. The father of the new family, called Tom Gorman in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher, was a pragmatic man blessed with exceptional hearing and vision, and who was also a seasoned and accomplished rancher, raising Black Angus and Simmental show cattle that fetched high prices at auction. Tom ran a tight ship considering losing more than 1% of his livestock in a year as an affront where other ranchers would be happy if they only lost 5% to predators or issues with husbandry. His wife Ellen was also a practical woman and their children Tad and Kate had been straight-A students back in New Mexico. Unbeknown to the family, the whole of the Uinta Basin is a hotspot for paranormal activity including UAPs or UFOs and other darker phenomena. According to the local First Nation tribes, particularly the Utes, the ranch is in the path of the skinwalker and they will not venture onto the land. Of course, the Gormans were unaware of the law and eyewitness accounts of phenomena in and around the area when they bought the ranch, but that would soon change. The first encounter happened when Tom spotted an animal loping across his field. It was much too large to be a coyote. Ellen saw it too and it was headed in their direction. Wolf? she asked. The creature was grey and they watched it as it meandered towards them, finally stopping about 50 feet from the family. At this distance, it looked to be the largest wolf that Tom or any of them had ever seen, coming up to Tom's chest who stood over 6 feet tall. Ed, Tom's father who was helping out, ventured that it might be someone's pet as it seemed tame and unafraid of the family. Ed even petted it after it trotted up to him. Suddenly the beast bounded over to the nearby corral and grabbed a calf's head in its jaws, quicker than any of them could react to. It tried to drag the calf through the bars of the corral, and Tom ran up and kicked the wolf hard in the ribs. Ed joined in, hitting the creature with a baseball bat across its back. The wolf did not release the calf's head or try to retaliate in any way. In fact, it seemed nonplussed and even unconcerned by the heavy blows. Tom told Tad to get his magnum and proceeded to fire into the beast's ribs, the crack from the shot resounding across the fields, but it seemed to have no effect whatsoever on the wolf. It didn't flinch, it didn't let go of the calf's head, nothing. It didn't even seem to bleed from the wound. Tom fired two more shots into the wolf's abdomen, still nothing. As the third shot rang out, finally the wolf slowly and reluctantly released the calf's head from its powerful jaws. At this point, the creature was about 10 feet from Tom and it displayed no sign of having been shot. It showed no discomfort or fear and Tom aimed and fired again and the animal backed off 30 feet. Four shots from a 357 Magnum had not killed it. In fact, it had had very little effect at all. The beast still hadn't bled from the wounds. Tom asked Tad to get his rifle, known as a 30 6 which Tom had previously taken down elk with. The shot roared and the sound of the bullet hitting flesh and bone could be heard straight after. The wolf recoiled, but still calmly stood observing Tom with its glacier blue eyes. At this point, the creature should have been dead. 
Ellen began to cry softly as Tom raised the rifle once more and using his marksmanship skills, aimed for the chest cavity. The bullet tore through the animal, leaving a chunk of flesh on the ground. Still the wolf made no sound. It looked at the family, seemingly unconcerned, and trotted off across the grass. Tom with the rifle and Tad with the magnum followed after it. It had about a hundred yard lead on them. They slowly gained on the beast near some cottonwoods, Tom and Tad sprinting to keep up with the wolf that despite only trotting seemed to cover ground quickly. The animal's tracks were visible in the wet ground as it darted into the tree line of thick Russian olives. They followed the tracks which still showed no sign of blood amongst them, through thick undergrowth to the banks of the creek back out into the open. Near the river, the prints showed deep depressions as the 200-pound animal had sunk into the soft mud. They followed the tracks for another five yards before they suddenly stopped. It was at least 60 feet to the river, which should have been an impossible leap from almost still in thick mud. Dumbfounded and with no sign of the wolf, Tom and Tad turned back and walked the mile back to the ranch. Ellen had another encounter with a large wolf a few weeks later as she drove back to the homestead. She had stopped to open the gate and had got back into her car. At some point during that time, a huge wolf had silently approached and stood next to her window. The animal's head was higher than the roof of the car and it had to bend down to breathe on her window. It too seemed tame. In her mirror, she also saw another, slightly smaller animal, all black that looked like an odd breed of dog that Ellen was unfamiliar with, with a head that was too large for its body. Ellen hit the gas and drove the last half mile to the ranch house, vowing to inform the local tribal office about the animals trying to get onto her property, thinking perhaps they were pets of the local tribesmen. She drove to Fort Duchesne to file her complaint and was met with blank stares from the tribal office employees. They told her that not only did no one own wolves around there, but wolves had not been seen in that part of Utah since the last wolf in the area had been shot in 1929. In fact, local Ute legends from the area, that the Gormans would learn about in bits and pieces from various sources some time later, spoke of the Gormans' property being off-limits to tribe members due to it being cursed and in the path of the Skinwalker. Even today, Ute tribe members will not set foot on the land. There are reports of many other encounters in the area, including some made by police officers, one of whom had two encounters with wolf-like beings on the highway. Missing items. So many items seemed to move or disappear inexplicably in the ranch house that Ellen started to question her own memory. She would leave a kitchen utensil on the countertop, go outside for a moment and return to find it gone, normally turning up some time later in a completely unexpected place. This would happen a couple of times per week. One particular incident had Tom raging, demanding to know who'd hidden his post digger. Ellen told him that she and the kids had been inside the house for the last couple of hours, with the kids doing their homework. Tom had left the 70 pound piece of machinery to get a wrench and returned a couple of minutes later to find it gone. The family looked with Tom for half an hour without success. Two evenings later, Tom's pliers disappeared from the top of a fence post literally while he turned around. It was at this point that Ellen finally told the family about her spate of similar issues. Tom's post digger eventually did turn up, perched 20 feet up a tree, 
which would have required quite a massive effort. Orbs. Tom and Ellen both saw a blue orb flying in the tree line next to their horses one evening after noting that both their cattle and horses seemed restless. It emerged from the tree line and flew around one of the horse's heads, which noticed it and reacted, shaking its head as if to dislodge a buzzing fly. The animal was bathed in an eerie blue glow emitted from the orb. Suddenly it darted off with incredible speed and moved towards the Gormans. It stopped and hovered about 20 feet from them, 15 feet up in the air. Its exterior seemed to be a clear shell like glass or perspex, inside which swirled a blue substance like a liquid beginning to boil. The object emitted a static electricity noise and sped away into the nearby trees when Ellen trained her flashlight on it. There are also numerous accounts of strange lights in the sky from the area, including some that have been seen entering and leaving a local reservoir called Bottle Hollow. In 1998, a local police officer observed a large light plunge into the middle of the reservoir before quickly exiting again and flying off into the night sky. In 2002, four young men had taken their dates to the beach there and watched as a ball of bluish-white colour flew over from the direction of the ranch and entered the water a few feet from the shore. It then changed shape into a shimmering belt-shaped shaft of light and then emerged taking off at high speed low to the ground before disappearing near the ridge. Tom caught sight of a trespassing RV one evening about a half mile to the west. He'd seen its lights before and ignored it but this time had had enough. He was with Tad and Dave his nephew. They increased pace and walked over to it. As they got within a hundred yards, it began to move away from them. They would have been difficult to spot without night vision equipment, but it appeared to have seen them. Tom didn't want the idiot driver to break fence lines and broke into a jog to catch up to it. Oddly, the lights from the front of the vehicle and the red lights on the rear were moving very smoothly across the rough terrain. Suddenly, the lights rose up a few feet. The three men started to run, with the vehicle keeping the same distance from them. It rose again, and Tom realised it was somehow lifting itself up over the fences. As they continued to chase, the vehicle came close to the last pasture on the property, which was bounded by a line of Russian olive trees and a five-foot-high barbed wire fence, which should have trapped the vehicle in the pasture. Amazed, the three watched out of breath from running as the thing rose up over the 50-foot-high trees and silently flew away. They'd seen it silhouetted against the sky, oblong, shaped like a large fridge with a headlight in front and a red light behind. A few weeks later, Tom and Ellen heard a clanging sound while out on a walk just after sunset. It was like something metal being banged against metal but seemed to come from about a hundred feet above them in the dark night air. Then they saw a bright light about a hundred yards away and walked toward it. As they approached, it lifted off moved another 50 yards away and settled down again. It was the same vehicle as before. Whenever they would approach, it would lift off and glide further away in complete silence. It seemed to be aware of them and trying to keep a certain distance from them. The metallic clanging sound came again from behind them and they turned to look but saw nothing. When they turned back, the vehicle had either turned its lights off or somehow vanished. They walked to the spot where they had seen it but saw no tracks. In fact, the Uinta Basin area has been studied as a UAP hotspot with sightings recorded by over half of the local residents 
dating back as far as the 1950s. In 1974, Frank Salisbury, at the time a plant physiologist and professor of plant science at the University of Utah, wrote a book on the history of UFO phenomena in the basin called The Utah UFO Display. Frank does not speculate about aliens in the book, however, which is more of a fact-based catalogue of sightings. So the Gorman Ranch seems to be a hotspot for all kinds of paranormal activity, many of which we haven't managed to get round to discussing this evening. There have been cattle mutilations where cattle have been found out in the middle of fields or in places that seemed inaccessible, like under barbed wire fences, which no natural form of death would make a, a cow slide under a barbed wire fence generally. There was the incident when I think it was four or five of Tom Gorman's prized bulls disappeared from their pen and turned up in a small temporary building nearby, which they could only just about fit in. And when they were noticed in there, they were kind of dozy or in a daze. And then as they opened the door, they obviously went crazy and tried to stampede out of the trailer, wrecking it. There have been people who've seen giant snakes in the nearby Bottle Hollow Reservoir writhing around in the water. There have been multiple UFO and orb sightings of varying colours and types. Tom has had dogs go missing after they've chased after orbs, only to turn up later completely incinerated. There has been poltergeist type activity inside the ranch house itself. There are sightings of a Bigfoot type creature or Sasquatch. The Ute Indians actually use the term Sasquatch and Skinwalker interchangeably and Junior Hicks claims not only to have collected the testimony of local residents who have sighted Bigfoot but also says he's seen photos of large footprints taken in the area around the ranch. Another weird phenomena that Tom has observed himself was a strange kind of gap in the air which he could see a different sky through so it was quite late in the evening and when he looked through this this shimmering piece of air he could see a blue sky on the other side. Various encounters with various cryptids which usually lead to them disappearing in mid-air or reappearing far, further away than should be possible. When the Gormans sold the ranch they sold it to the National Institute for Discovery Science known as NIDS which is a team specifically set up to investigate fringe science or paranormal phenomena. It's actually the longest running study of paranormal phenomena anywhere on the planet. And it's all centered around the Skinwalker Ranch. And some of the participant scientists have said that they felt that whatever they were dealing with, it felt like some kind of intelligence because it would react to things they did like they shone torches at UFOs and orbs, which then reacted and moved out of the way of the path of the beam and things like that. There was another time where they set up a circle of cameras, which so that they were looking in every direction. And when they came back in the morning, they'd all been unplugged. But on the footage, there was nothing that had gone up to them and removed the plugs or anything like that. Wires that were taped in with gaffer tape had been removed all kinds of weird and wonderful things. It is quite possibly the most paranormal place on Earth, and there's not an awful lot of paranormal phenomena that hasn't happened there. So what do you think? Uh, 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 so uh, 
almost stunned into silence. The notes I have been writing for this episode, there are just a lot of question marks and exclamation marks yeah. and underlining and just random scribbles. Yeah. It's a biggie, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's huge, yeah. Um, I mean, I've only got about halfway through the book. I have watched the documentary previously yeah and i have i've listened to other podcasts covering skinwalker ranch and things like that so i have a little more around knowledge but i literally didn't have time to get through the whole book it is such a big all sorts in there topic though to to thoroughly to to investigate each individual thing yeah and give a backstory of it that's like this, way too much and I've, I've tried to kind of just narrow it down to stuff that happened directly on the ranch and i've, yeah. I've barely scratched the surface because like i said i didn't even get to talk about cattle mutilations and all the other kind of weird and, and i know how things. much you love that <laughs> not as such no but yeah it's, it's fascinating but yeah i don't love it okay well one little little snippet that i've heard and i, I don't know if i mentioned this on a previous episode when we mentioned skinwalker ranch apparently like you say if you know who the skinwalker is yeah that's not good for them no they die if you call them by their name of or the name of the person that they are that apparently can kill them i yeah. listened to a, an interview of someone who had an experience with a, a skinwalker that was coming onto their property and the grandfather said oh i think i know who it is and he shouted the name of this woman out of the door and two days later apparently she was dead yeah So it could have been like a really weird coincidence. Could have been. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I've just remembered, there's lots of other cases from around the area. Like I say, there was one about a policeman that had Mm. two encounters with wolves. They did see, you just said a a couple of police witnesses. Ran alongside his car as he was driving along the highway. (laughs) There was another report from a woman who she was driving along and a skinwalker ran alongside the car opened the door and tried to snatch her baby from the car and she managed to get away. There was another family that were in a truck. And now I don't know if that means kind of like a flatbed truck or like yeah. a big 14 wheel sure, or whatever. Most, yeah. Not, it, it wasn't specific, but basically there was a family in the truck and the dad was driving and it mentioned that he was a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. So generally not that Quite easy tough. to scare and yeah. that kind of thing. And apparently they saw something that looked like half man, half animal running alongside, holding its arms up in the air as if it was trying to grab the door of the truck. And this thing had clothes on. It had um, a shirt on and apparently like long, it just said long pants. Yeah. And they managed to get away from it. And apparently the dad's face he was driving was completely drained of blood. He was just completely white as a sheet from whatever he'd seen. It just gives me the... Gives you the willies, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? That's what exactly what I was going to say. I've got like little little shivers and little like goosebumps and stuff. Yeah, kind of keep going. <laughs> well, this is the thing as well, because the Navajo particularly don't talk about skinwalkers, even amongst their own kind, because they feel that even saying the, the Navajo word for skinwalker, which I think I've read, but I'm not going to repeat, just on the off chance. Just in case. But the idea is if you say the Navajo word for skinwalker, that attracts It's kind of like Beetlejuice, you you know? Yeah, kind of thing. You don't want to be saying it too much. Bloody Mary or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there's so many instances of names giving power. Yeah, but yeah, Yeah, there's so many things going up this ranch. It's like the nexus for crazy shit happening. So yeah, the ranch, 
I was interested by the no digging clause, and you had to inform the previous owner. Had to inform owner. the previous like, owners in, and if you if they an elderly couple away, you know, is what happens once they pass on? Did Who you knows? Did, are you just not allowed to ever dig? Well, or it's changed it, hands again since then because obviously, yeah, like, but the did they keep that stipulation in the sales? I don't know, I don't know. but it was a, also, it was an odd one. Also, the bolts and chains. Yeah. Um, bolts on both sides bolts of the door. Bolts on both sides so, so that people can bolt themselves into a room if needed So it's, to. it doesn't matter which room you're in, you can bolt yourself in. Yeah. I'm guessing to make the central room a safe room or something. Or if I they get into the room, you can unbolt it, get out and bolt the other side. And, and leave and them bolt trapped them in. in there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty hardcore. But yeah, there's just so many things to discuss with this case that it's difficult to know where to start and stop. Well, I'm just going to go through my notes. Okay. So we've got the family, their first uh, contact with the yeah. chest high wolf. That's a big lad. Big, I big lad. am quite surprised that they thought to themselves, oh, you know, here's a strange wolf that comes up to my chest. I think I'll go pet it. Because, you know, as much as I feel like I would possibly want to do that, I would also be a little bit apprehensive. Something that big, yeah. But something but that big. it seemed big. so tame and just didn't yeah. seem to but, want to make any well, that, problems that changed until quickly. it went for the calf. Yeah. Um, the note I have for him is Rasputin wolf. Okay. Well, you know, Rasputin, they couldn't kill him, could they? No, true, yeah, yeah. And also... Where's the chunk of flesh? Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Because it always gets mentioned and you think you would pick that up. And yeah, God, yes. Maybe have it tested. Tested to see what comes out. But the thing is, this out. was their first ever experience and they weren't necessarily thinking anything other than, oh, look, a wolf. Or no, I'm sorry, but as soon as I started shooting lap. and it didn't die, then I'd be like, what the bloody hell is this? Yeah, exactly. So I would be like, any chunks flying off that, I'd be like, yeah, they're having it, that. I don't think anything that I've seen or read tells what happens to that chunk of flesh. Yeah, that's something that I would like to know. So if anyone does know what yeah, happened to that chunk of flesh, can they let us know? When you said about the wolf, obviously it was running away from them, they were chasing. Yeah. You said that there were very, very deep footprints in the mud. Yeah. Did they increase like the so, depth? Yeah, it so, looked, so, do you think it could have gone up on two legs and that would obviously have put more pressure on those particular feet. Ah. And then when the footprints disappeared, could it have been that it changed into a different creature? I mean, that's a theory. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, in theory, if it can shape shift into different creatures, yeah. it could have just become an eagle and flown yeah, off. Exactly. Because yeah. that's what I'm thinking. If it was on four, so obviously the weight distribution would be at a certain depth. Yeah. And they say, oh, it got a lot, lot deeper. So if it went up onto two legs, then I obviously think- the... I think it was partly that the, the mud around that area just was softer, softer nearer to the river. But yeah, they tracked it and then literally the tracks just stopped and, and there That's... was nothing. Unless it was really clever and backtracked and then circled round and was I, watching them through the bushes. Maybe. Not, not normally the kind of intelligence you associate with wolves, but, but who knows? You don't normally think they're going to be chest high and, and not resistant die. to gunfire, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the the one that came to the car as well. Wolves are so shy, like a true wolf. Yeah. And they generally roam around in packs. Yeah. Whereas this seems to be sort of single the opposite in both yeah. instances. They're um, also talking about that these things look like dire wolves. Yeah. And dire wolves died out a long time ago, as far as we know. But then look at my favourite fish. <laughs> the coelacanth. 
Exactly. Everyone yeah. thought that was, you know. Everyone thought that was extinct for years. And then and all of a sudden one pops out and goes, Oh, yeah. All right. How I'm here. Yeah. So as much as we think they're extinct, you never know. Yeah. But I'm not sure if dire wolves are actually impervious, impervious to, to gunfire. gunfire. You, you wouldn't generally think so. No. You, I don't know of any natural creatures that are impervious to gunfire in the way no. this thing was. No. Yeah. yeah, especially with the the last wolf being 1929. shot. 1929. 1929. Yeah, a, that's and this a is fair... 1994 they took the ranch over. Yeah, so, so. It's, it's, a, it's a little while. When you said that the Sasquatch and Skinwalkers were interchangeable. No, the, the Utes use their word for Sasquatch and their word for Skinwalker, whatever they are. I haven't looked at what they actually are, but yeah. apparently they do sometimes use them quite interchangeably. Right, okay. As if so, to suggest that. Sasquatch is something of a another worldly creature rather than just a natural kind of mountain ape human yeah. hybrid thing that we normally think of. And actually, if you go into reading about a lot of Bigfoot and Sasquatch lore, yeah. there are instances where people have seen something like a Sasquatch or whatever, which then disappears and then reappears much further away as if it's kind of bridge the distance somehow in a different way. They're, they're talked about as almost being interdimensional travellers so that they, they literally appear through portals to this earth, Come roam around, do have whatever a they need to, yeah, take a shit in the woods, whatever you need, and then go back. So we're basically a Sasquatch toilet. Well, I, I wouldn't have, <laughs> actually, I th- if anything, it might be the other way around because I don't think anybody's ever found any poo that could be definitely said to be this is Sasquatch true otherwise or yeah or yeti that or whatever. would be breaking news abominable snow poo abominable snow poo yeah because that links in with the whole portal thing doesn't it it does yeah because so, that's one of the weirdest things because he, he looking into it started a out looking sky. like a, a weird orb or a shimmering kind of gap in the sky yeah and as he walked around he could see through it and there was a, there was a blue sky on the other side so, where it was kind of late evening early night where he was so could those orbs be extraterrestrial like almost like keys looking for a place to open a portal right okay i've always thought of the the orbs as more mechanical spy drones from their behavior and and the the cases that we've got of sightings of them they seem to be partly self-aware and they seem to be on some sort of mission i figured out what it is love go on what is it it's a bird whose casing has fallen off because birds aren't real because birds aren't real (laughs) and the only reason we've all been asked to stay indoors for months is so that the government can (laughs) Can change change the batteries batteries. the pigeons oh my god I love that. It's oh, amazing. That a, ama- there's a there's, for those of you who are in on the gag. There is a social media account called Birds Aren't Real, and it spews the spurious conspiracy theory. Try saying that ten times fast. That Can't birds aren't once. real. The government spy drones. Basically, and it's hilarious. The uh, the pigeon outfit fell off. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. The poltergeist stuff was interesting too because the moving of things. I know. Um, there was issues with like there was a wood pile as well, wasn't there? That moved. I don't yeah, know if you found that like from one side of the house to yeah. the other and back again, or I something. I mean, the, the the post digger is the weirdest one because if you see the post digger, there are, it's about as long as our sofa. Yeah, 
So it's a big piece of kit and it weighs, you know, it's. But it was found up a tree. But it's found 20 feet up a tree. So you'd need like some kind of like, what, scissor lift to get it up there. Well, this, at is, least. The, this is the other thing as well, because this kind of ties back in with the portals and the cattle mutilations, because a lot of the time, like I say, the cattle will be found in ways that suggest they've almost been dropped from a height. Like one calf was found with two broken legs managed to survive and they were trying to nurse it back to health and a few days later it disappeared again and turned up this time with all its legs broken and then it had to be put down. But the cattle mutilations are very weird. There are a lot of parallels between cattle mutilations because they've been going on for decades and decades as well and possibly a lot longer. But usually you'll find things like ears and tongues have been removed but with surgical precision and and with very sharp cuts so it's not kind of it, yeah, it's, it's not, not been, been torn off by or, a predator or, or, or torn off by a, a barbed wire fence or anything yeah. like that it's a surgical cut yeah eyeballs often get removed the yeah. cow's anus is often cored out like you would core an apple holy moly yeah that's a very common thing with cattle mutilations they're often found with skin removed around the jaw and things like that sometimes all their organs are removed and the thing that generally always ties them together as well, there is never any blood anywhere. So somebody has literally opened up a calf, taken all its organs out and managed not to drop a, a single drop of blood. So that suggests then that that's not the kill site. Exactly. It has that been, suggests that it's yeah. the cow or calf has been picked up, taken somewhere else, yeah. experimented on in whatever way for whatever reason. Back. Now, if you've got portals that can appear in midair with different skies through them, that suggests that that's they can possibly a technology that somebody or someone or something is employing oh, God, and could do so at any moment, at any point on the Earth. But there seems to be a, a very odd thing there because Tom and Junior Hicks have both recorded things like compass needles going crazy on the property to the point where... Tom stopped carrying a compass with him because he could never rely on it. There was one instance where he saw some kind of UFO and took his compass out, which was back when he was still carrying one, and the needle was pointing to the phenomena, no matter which way he turned. So magnetic fields and like disruptions in that kind of thing. Yeah. So what do we think about the no digging rule? Do you think the old couple knew that there's maybe an alien spaceship buried somewhere? possible i mean the old couple knew something didn't they yeah because you wouldn't normally sell a property and go but don't dig anything unless you've let unless us know first they have killed loads of things people and, and buried people the bodies on the ranch yeah, yeah. It's, it's entirely possible they, i mean part of me is completely intrigued and i'd love to see it the other part of me is just like well it's like the bigger part of me is just screaming what are you on about don't yeah. even it's I mean, like if it, they're still Utes, you said they, yeah, they still Indians, will yeah. not. They won't set foot, set foot on, on anywhere, it. anywhere on that area. To me, that's like why? Why would yeah. you? Well, they they have they have oral traditions, like I say, that go back yeah. about fifteen generations. Because yeah, I was trying to work out, walkers have been in the area. A generation long. is about thirty years, I suppose. Actually, no, it's probably going to be more like twenty, isn't it? So it's going to be more like twenty. Yeah. So that's what three hundred years. Yeah. And Dark Canyon supposedly has petroglyphs on it, which depict skinwalkers, which are centuries old, which, yeah. again, could be 300 years old or more. Yeah. But, yeah, Junior Hicks wasn't allowed to go down there and explore and look at it because the Utes were too scared that he'd disturb the skinwalker and it would lead to problems for them. 
oh my goodness, what if 2020 is a result of those scientists getting a bit too nosy? Well, the, the NID stuff happened quite a while ago now. And I think the ranch has changed hands again since then. So yeah, wasn't there a bit of a mystery at one point about who had bought it? They yeah. wanted to remain anonymous. Yeah, it so it was a guy called Bigelow who was a, an American millionaire. So well, he's exactly not how. anonymous anymore. <laughs> no, but he, he actually funded NIDS, bought the ranch, right, and set them up there with equipment and all the rest of it to try and investigate what was going on because he was a very keen UFO enthusiast and kind of obviously quite interested in the paranormal in general. But there was an interesting thing I was reading recently, which was saying about as soon as somebody says like unexplained aerial phenomena or an unidentified flying object, the first thing people think of is aliens. It's It's aliens that have come from somewhere else, like within our own galaxy or perhaps even further. But there's a theory that actually these are creatures that are all native to the earth. Yeah that have hidden themselves away from us because we're Awful. quite violent. And and they're now just yeah. fed up. And when we see them, it's them escaping. Yeah. Like, nope, that's it. Time to get off this planet. Oh, yeah. So I want to go back and talk about the skinwalkers themselves. Okay. Because you said the, the being is like evil incarnate, yeah. which I not take issue with but surely if a person was that evil that they had killed a family member yeah that you would notice when they are in their human form going about their day-to-day life that they are evil i mean yes and no if you come across a person that's particularly self-serving first thing you don't think of is are they a skinwalker they might just be a Mm, dick i suppose yeah i suppose there are different like and, versions of evil, aren't there? Yeah, and, I, and I'm guessing if you're intelligent enough to learn black magic and the rituals that go along with it and all the rest of it, you're intelligent enough to know not to kind of parade that stuff in public because that gets you so, discovered. Oh, God. But yeah, I, yeah so, so I suppose it's the different aspects of what we consider to be evil because I'm thinking like, you know, proper demonic. See, in my head, you were thinking like top hat, Pencil thin moustache, cape, tying a woman to the railroad tracks, sneering and going. I don't think I was. Kind of like love. Waluigi in a cape. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely with like angry eyebrows, because you know. Of course, yeah. So the the floating RV UFO yeah. over the trees fridge. and far away fridge with lights. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. Yeah. It was like it was trying to be sneaky. A bit incognito. Kind of. Like, yeah, I'm a car, I'm a car, I'm a car. Yeah. Oh, but I, I'm i not. Yeah, very obviously not by the end of it, yeah. So it's almost like because it was looked so normal, they didn't quite bother well, with it. They, they couldn't really see the vehicle itself as much as they could see the light from the, the light, headlight exactly. at the front and the red so light at the back. Though, and obviously you? kind of yellowish white light at the front, red light at the back, you think car. It's a car, yeah. Yeah. I thought at one point you were going to say, and they were slowly getting further and further apart. So yeah. it's like stretching itself. No, no, it's no. just getting higher and higher. Yeah, no, like it this. basically jumped the fences and then yeah. flew over 50 foot high trees. And that, to, you know, there's not many RVs that I know no. can do that. No. I mean, you'd need like an RV version of Knight Rider with the turbo oh, boost. That'd be amazing. What does NIDS stand for? Or what does it mean? Or is it just a name? It's the National Institute for Discovery Science. 
I heard you say that, but, but didn't, didn't actually cotton, onto, it, cotton yeah. onto the fact that that actually says nids. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking, because I was thinking cryptids and nipples for some reason. Cryptids. Cryptnips. So basically, you, it's it's crypt, cryptids nipples. Cryptid. If we ever open a pub, it's going to be called the cryptids, the cryptids nipples. nipples. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting, actually, because the Patterson-Gimlin film of Patty, the yeah. Bigfoot, the famous, Patty is a female. Yeah. You can actually see she has breasts of some sort that move as Although she walks. Although I've seen a fair few blokes with pretty impressive yeah. mammaries. So I think that's going to be where we're going to end the discussion otherwise we will just keep going and going uh, but if you have enjoyed this episode uh, you can find us on facebook we've got a page and a group and it is facebook.com slash stories of strangeness for the page and there is a join group button where you can join the group fantastic you can come and say hello yep. um, have a chat with other people Yep. like-minded people and you can leave us messages on there if you want you can also find us on instagram at stories of strangeness and we do try to post random pictures yep. uh, with with links to what we're doing we are on twitter at so strange pod i don't tweet no nope. mike does all the tweeting and i don't do a lot of tweeting at the minute so apologies but it's just as and when i can and we also have a website storiesofstrangeness.com that's funny that isn't it it's quite obviously obvious yeah. yeah 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 which is where we post transcripts of each episode and other content on there as well and there's a few links on there to like resources that we've used isn't there yeah that's cool um if you would like to support us but get something for your money we have a redbubble account so every episode we record we will also do a beautiful illustration for which we put onto our Redbubble account and you can buy many many things with these beautiful pictures on yep so Stickers, do check us out t-shirts books shower curtains leggings all sorts of stuff if there's anything in particular you want us to draw let us know because we both like drawing yeah and our Redbubble account is zoe and mike there'll be a link to it in the show notes so we're going to look at opening our Patreon account. We've had one for a little while, but we haven't been plugging it because we wanted to get some episodes out and some content out for you, for you guys to listen to and hear and decide if you like or not. If you'd like to support the show, there is going to be a $1 a month um, tier where basically you give us $1 a month and thanks for supporting us. And we will say thank you possibly to you on the show. We'll definitely say thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely say thank you to subscribers. We are also going to be looking at opening further tiers with different levels of... Extra content. Extra content, compensation for your money, that kind of thing. So keep an eye out for that. I will put the link to the Patreon in the show notes. Like I say, if you want to sign up on the $1 tier, and then obviously you can move up to a, a different tier if you wish to, where One there might be extras dollars. from the show... <laughs> Or outtakes. So, yeah, outtakes, because, oh, my goodness, yeah, there are a lot. We do really chat shit, don't we? <laughs> we, we do talk an <laughs> awful lot of bollocks. Yeah. So if you think we're lovely, you can leave us a review. What's the best place to leave a review, Mike? 
Generally, it's iTunes because it's one of the biggest podcast aggregators out there and it helps the show get seen by lots of new people. It does, yes. The other thing you can do is you can tell your friends about the show or people that you know that might be interested in topics of the paranormal, weird and wonderful. Tell them about the show and get them to subscribe, possibly at knife point if necessary. Yeah, because, you know, that would make a good story too. Just make it a butter knife. And don't, yeah. go, don't go crazy. <laughs> And and saying that, if you do have a story of your own that you would like us to read out, you yeah. can email it to us. Storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. And um, we will happily read it out. If you want to rem- remain anonymous, that is cool. Yep. If you would prefer myself or Mike, which one of us to, to read it out? No, that made no or sense. we can try and read it together. It'll be an absolute... Oh my goodness, that'd be amazing. Yeah, it'll be chaos. And it- from this point on... We don't know what the topics are going to be going forward. We've come to the end of our structured list. Uh, Of our planned list. I I have a list about half a mile long of other stuff that I want to do. but Yours is a written list for once in your whole life. Mine is a virtual list for the first time in my life. (laughs) So Mike has just told me we have to say goodbye now because... Goodbye. See you. Goodbye. We're waffling again. Goodbye. Oh my God, you're so rude. Anyway, it's been lovely. Goodbye. Get out of my house. Thank you for listening this far. It's been a journey. And um, our next episode, who knows what it's going to be? It's mine. We don't. And it's a surprise. (laughs) So, yes, take care, dear listener. Take care. Don't have nightmares. And don't kill a relative to become a skinwalker. That's my advice to you. Bye. Talked over my love you. Do you love you again? And I'll stick it somewhere else. Love you!